Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our show presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today, Corey Chavis, longtime NFL draft analyst, longtime NFL football player, one of the all-time greats at Vanderbilt, and a good friend of mine. Corey is going to come on and talk about the first couple of weeks, and particularly the Elon game and the Wake Forest game ahead. Corey appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items. That includes a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey that I just got this week. I swear, I had been looking for 10, 15 years for something to put that in that I liked. Didn't find it till Michael made it for me. I've seen his work. Obviously, he's a true craftsman. And if you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. Really good to work with if you've got sports memorabilia or something that you'd like framed or turned into an item of furniture. Michael can do that for you. Now on to our interview with Corey Chavis. Corey Chavis joins us tonight. Corey is an NFL draft analyst. He's a TV personality. He is one of the all-time great cornerbacks at Vanderbilt, played in the NFL for a decade, and a good friend of mine. Corey, thanks for joining us tonight at what I know is a really busy time of the year for you. I know you spent your weekend traveling, watching football, which is, which is what you do every fall. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule uh, to talk some Vanderbilt football with us. Oh, no doubt, Chris. You know, I'll do whatever. Uh, always love being on with you and breaking it down, man. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, – it's always good when we could talk Vanderbilt being 2-0. and It is. It's been a while. And I know it wasn't the, the prettiest win, but it's a win for a program that really needs one. I thought Vanderbilt really, you know, just about put the game out of reach and then – Elon made a, a really nice comeback and really made some plays, too. I mean, give credit where it's due. I thought their quarterback and a couple of their other receivers really played well. But what were your impressions on the Elon game? I, I thought they had some, uh, there was some positives, uh, really, uh, in terms of uh, being able to see more players uh, have an opportunity to make big plays. Uh, I thought more players uh, that were asked to be in different roles or maybe expanded roles depending on uh, playing time and getting an opportunity in more situations, whether that's a third down or whether that's in a uh, on a punt coverage or whether you're in a situation where you have to defend an onside kick or if you're uh, trying to you know keep that run from continuing uh, in terms of communication. And I think those are the types of things that you want to go through in a win and not a loss. So fortunately for uh, Vanderbilt, I think it just comes down to you being able to teach uh, off of a win. And I think that's the same thing that a lot of teams around the country 
uh, are a lot better uh, off today teaching the tape or going over the tape as coaches uh, when you win a game as opposed to losing one. I think the biggest concern coming out of this one was maybe the pass defense, but that starting secondary played almost the entire game, and I'm wondering if fatigue was maybe a factor. What did you make of the performance on the back end? Well, I mean, I I think one of the things that we talked about uh, just last week when we uh, were talking about the last game against Hawaii, we kind of referred to their receivers a little bit. And obviously, uh, everybody, again, uh, when you start breaking down teams around the country, a lot of times the familiarity is not always there with, with teams in the CAA or maybe in the big sky. Or you look at maybe a conference like the Ohio Valley or what have you. There are a lot of different conferences that have good players. The Southland, in terms of FCS football, I don't think uh, people realize just how many good players. And Jackson Parham was the guy that we talked about could present some matchup problems. I thought it was a good guy to go against. Much like last year, early in the season, uh, they were going against Shorts, uh, Tremont Shorts, who ended up at LSU now. Uh, and he was the left tackle for East Tennessee State. Uh, again, you never know who you're going against, and sometimes you're going against players that have an opportunity to be really good, and it doesn't really matter about the level. So those experiences, I believe, are good. I thought Bray Boy uh, was pretty effective for them. Not only did he uh, do a lot in, in terms of being able to get you know deep um, and make some people miss uh, after the catch, but he also had a couple of tackles as well. I'm talking about for them, uh, their receiver, Brave Boy. So uh, I thought they had some decent players. And I I think, again, uh, going against different personnel other than your own, those experiences are always positives. On offense, Mike Wright just had a phenomenal game. Uh, Set, I think, a school record for touchdowns accounted for uh, with six, I thought, played in sh- extremely well. He's a kid who just really has gotten so much better since last year. Yeah, I thought he ran the ball with confidence. Uh, uh, you saw that even early in the game. I thought he got a really good block in the first quarter from Hanson uh, on that left side when he when he took that one. And he was decisive on that, on that run. I was probably most impressed with some of the throws that you know, I, I, the 75-yard touchdown was, was very impressive, but I, I was really impressed uh, earlier, uh, even on that drive, uh, or, or might even have been the second drive. It was kind of a crossing route, I believe, to a body going across, and I thought that was a really decisive throw in the pocket, and I think that was on a third down. He had a couple of third down throws, uh, you know, that I think it was third and seven, uh, and it was like a speed dig. And I thought on that play, Hanson and Azebu were both good. It was the last play of the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and one of the things that I noticed on that play is the fact that the ball handling continues to be something that's underrated from right. Uh, so I, I think when you look at the different types of throws that he's beginning to get confidence to make, even a skinny post later on uh, to Shepard for the touchdown, uh, that was an accurate throw and a catchable ball. Uh, so those throws have to excite uh, the team because that just means that he's getting more confidence and making some of those types of passes. I was looking at pro football Focus's grades this week for linemen. And look, I mean, they're, they're not perfect. They don't always know the assignments, all the criticisms that people know. But 
The line graded pretty well. It graded pretty well in pass blocking. And it's a line that so far through two games has protected Mike Wright pretty well. Yeah, and I think that that'll be important. Uh, you know, they're going against Borthroyd this week. He's a pretty good player. I I think they're also going against a, a Richmond transfer uh, that Wake Forest has in Colby Turner, who's a very active defensive lineman, uh, and and he's going to present some different challenges uh, just with his versatility and, and ability to baby move around a little bit. He's got some quickness, and you know he's a different type of player. And he, he had a pretty good debut. It was his first game for Wake Forest last week. He actually had six tackles. So you're going to have some guys, I think, up front that will present, again, some different challenges. And even Kendron Wayman. So uh, it, it continues. We'll continue to ramp up. Uh, I think that they've been pretty sound overall. I even think on the one uh, face mask penalty that Hanson had on the fourth down and seven in the second quarter, I thought he actually had a good pass set on that play. The hands just got a little bit high on, on that rep. Uh, but again, I, I thought his footwork on the play was pretty good. Uh, so even on some of the negative plays, there are positives to kind of parcel away. You know, the guy that I think a lot of people thought might lose his job but hasn't and I think has played decently well is Ben Cox. How do you evaluate him right now? I think he's been pretty solid, at least some of the stuff that I've seen uh, through a couple of games. And, you know, you can tell he has played heavy at times. We talked a little bit about some of the blocks he had a week ago. I, I think on the inside quarterback power that they ran – it was also like on a third seven, third down and seven, excuse me. It might have been in the second quarter. Uh, it, it, he he kind of maybe passed up somebody he could have blocked. That was just something that was, you know, you you would that that's more of just vision. Uh, but in terms of actually being able to be assignment sound for the most part uh, through the first couple of weeks, uh, I, I think he's gotten pretty good movement. I think he's attached pretty well, and I think his hand placement has at least been satisfactory. I think the biggest concern on this team through two games is probably pass rush generation. And a lot of that I say because it was a concern last year. Do you agree with that? Do you see a way where that reasonably gets solved this year? I think when you look at the pass rush, there are going to be some times where you're going to, if you're Nick Howell, and I think he's picked the spots, you know, bring different elements in terms of an add-on defender. That's going to put more pressure on uh, some of the guys in the back end, and that's just something you're going to have to do from time to time. Um, But I feel like when you're just rushing three, which a lot of times you might have to do that and kind of maybe are allowing them to, um, you know, maybe you're dropping eight in the coverage. It's a little bit harder then uh, to really create a pass. So it's just a matter of like, uh, when those designers will come in at, at times and how they'll mix it up. And a lot of that has to do with how many guys you're rotating. So if you got to have guys that have a little bit more reps, particularly coming off that long trip from Hawaii, I think that's what would enable, you know, you talking about some of the guys in the secondary maybe struggling, but those two things are, uh, those are connected more than any other two positions on the field, the defensive lineman and the secondary. So, Again, I think that there were times where they had to kind of manage what they had in terms of 
just depth even in that game. And, and maybe that's sometimes why you might have seen just rushing three at times or different situations. I'm a little surprised they haven't gotten Davis or Lee back by now on the defensive line. Are you? And when do you think those guys are, are coming back? Do you know anything there? Well, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know when uh, Davis would be back. I, I was excited to be able to see him potentially play this year. But again, it's just a matter of like how comfortable he is and how he's doing along the, in terms of the rehabilitation. Uh, if he can get back, I think that would add a lot because, again, you're talking about another body. You're talking about somebody who has linebacker-type Ben. Uh, I think he's quick. I think he's strong. Uh, I think he's – I mean, you could tell he's built like a brick house. Uh, and when you combine that with just the experience, I think he could be a, a significant factor in a number of different ways. But more than anything else, uh, he gives you a different quickness element as a change-up at the three technique, the one technique, you can put him at the four. Uh, you can move him around. You can put him at the zero on third downs. You can kind of mix up some of the guys you have in there on third downs, particularly when we're talking about a three-man rush. So I think he gives the team more versatility if he can get in there. But again, how is he going to respond to live game action You know, with, without, with the injury? So I think that's a big question with Davion right now. You ready for the mailbag? Because we got a ton of questions there. Uh oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> you're you're always ready, Corey. Come on. Um, <laughs> our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number six one five eight four six sixty two hundred. See what your rights are and if they can help. Go doors ninety four says, did you think the defense was fatigued against Elon due to the lack of rotating players in? Well, we kind of alluded to some of that. I don't know exactly how – I don't know their rotation and how many players were rotated during the game. I'd have to have a count on that. You might have some better numbers on that uh, than I do, Chris. But I, I thought that on some of the plays late, for example – there was a play later on in the game, a big catch. I believe it was by Parham or uh, it might have been. a. I don't know if it was a touchdown by Parham or not, but I think it may have been. And I think on that play, there was some communication issues. And that just meant that to me maybe answers the question. If you are having a couple of communication issues with the corner, because on one of those, I think that was to the side of Anderson. Looked like he might have been playing uh, uh, cover two, and then they may have been playing. There wasn't a safety over the top, but then there were some other guys on the other side. I saw one of the safeties getting to the other half field, so maybe there was a communication breakdown there. I don't know, but it did seem like that on a big on a big pass. And then some of the time his technique too. I think with him, uh, I thought he was in decent position taking away the outside from Parham a little bit later on in that fourth quarter. And and that is what uh, – and I think he could have just trusted his technique more. So maybe in that case he's a little tired and maybe, you know, you're a step behind and you just grab to, to make yourself feel a little more comfortable. But I thought he was in pretty good shape on that play. He'll be going against a similar player to Parham, maybe more talented, this week in A.T. Perry. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS, when it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. 
He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Yeah, A.T. Perry is one of the best receivers in the country. Um, Go Doors 94 wants to know if Elon had any pro prospects. Well, we've been talking about one. We talked about Right, for sure. Yeah, And you, you actually, quite frankly, didn't see maybe one of their better pro prospects and that was the guy that 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 we had that we talked about last week, me and Chris on the show, and that was Cole Coleman. He was the preseason All American. I, I didn't see him out there. I don't think he played. So um, that that's actually the guy coming into the to the season uh, that a lot of people felt like was going to have a chance. Uh, but certainly Parham um, is a guy that you're going to have to kind of keep a look at or take a look at. And I also think that. Down the road, uh, Omar Rogers, number zero. You saw him out there a lot the other day, very active in coverage. You know, even after he got beat, he came back and made a play. Uh, he missed some tackles, but he was I- limited by injury in 2021. He started seven games. Uh, he's from Burlington Township High School up in New Jersey. Um, and I thought he was probably their best player on the field um, on Saturday night. Or Saturday, yeah, I think it was Saturday night, yeah. Yeah. What about Matthew McKay? Yeah, I mean, he looked good. I mean, now you're talking about a guy who was in the national championship game or or played for the national, a team that went to the national championship game, and he was a huge part of that uh, a year ago. So he's, this in, you know, he's not somebody that it, it just came out of nowhere. Uh, I think he's got yeah. a lot of upside in terms of size. Uh, he's got pretty good mobility. I really like the, the range he has as a passer. Uh, he got into a little bit of a rhythm. Now, they had a little bit of a two-quarterback system going on. Uh, but overall, I felt like he kind of showed some stuff, particularly on the switch route post pattern uh, to Bray Boy. That's that's more of what I'm talking about with the range. And uh, they he, he kind of was feeling himself a little bit as the game was going on at times. I thought he played pretty well. Columbiano Door wants to know what you think of the offensive and defensive scheme so far, and do you like the play calling? And do you see where do you see the biggest improvement from game one to game two? I guess that's two or three questions in one there. Well, I guess you got to – Which one of those you want me to? Uh, let Let's start an offensive and defensive schemes. What you think about those? Well, I think they've. I think those have been fine. I think it, it, it's going to continue to come down to, uh, you know, how well you execute as the, as things move along. Um, I feel like when it comes down to what they've done, uh, particularly like in the goal line situations, I like some of the uh, adjustments in terms of uh, how they were able to stand up, uh, particularly the defensive line. Uh, when they were able to stop them, uh, they, they scored a touchdown. It's forty-two to thirty-eight, and they had just given up the onside. So 
certainly I like the adjustment there uh, on the goal. I think that was more of a mentality than anything else, but that that was something that I I think you got to give them a lot of credit for. And I think they mixed some things up. Again, I, there was a couple of coverage busts that that led to some stuff last week, but uh, there have been times where you've seen uh, a number of different guys doing different responsibilities, uh, particularly one guy I got to mention is Ricky Wright. Now, he got beat on that touchdown a little bit earlier. I thought he squatted on the first por- portion of that route, kind of was seeing something that wasn't there, uh, and then he got beat over the top a little bit. They were in a, somewhat of a zone coverage. They didn't really jam that number one outside receiver on that play, but then he came back and and played, you know, he he made some plays in the game. He even almost picked off a post later on. And, and I think from a defensive scheme perspective, him moving around has been interesting, I would say. I mean, how he continues to match up in space as you get with against continued increase of better athletes, that's going to be interesting for me to kind of observe at six foot four and whatever he weighs. But he's pretty He's pretty athletic, man. I think that's shown up through a couple of weeks. They they have more possibilities, I would imagine, with him, with all of the different things he can do. And also with Mahoney as well. So you've got some guys that I think they'll continue to evolve their scheme. Offensively, you got to like what Lynch has been doing so far. He kind of went from last week to kind of taking things a little bit more of a vertical this week. You still had a little bit uh, of what you would see in terms of the quarterback run game. You still had some split zone. You still had a little bit of the uh, gap schemes uh, mixed in. You had some passes off of some of those gap schemes, uh, which would include some uh, run pass options. So all those different mixtures that you're seeing are giving teams stuff to prepare for, and I like it. Colombianodor wants to know where you saw the biggest improvement between week one and week two. Well, I think you got to start with the vertical passing game. Now, you you saw the big play. I think it was the body by Swan late. Uh, but that was the, the probably the one vertical play you saw a week before. Now you have a 75-yard touchdown pass to your freshman, you know, 10-5, 10-4 speedster. And that has to be a confidence boost for him. Uh, so that is something that I think uh, is, is something you have to look at on film if you're an opponent and say, whoa, wait a minute, that's a different element. And the fact that you make, you make that pass, I believe it was an all-size penalty on that play, if I'm not mistaken, but yes, the fact yeah. that you make that pass and you have that kind of awareness, uh, I think that's an improvement. Just, you know, w- would you have even thrown that ball maybe six, seven starts ago if you're right? Uh, so that's an improvement uh, in, in terms of the offensive line what they were able to do that you alluded to earlier in pass protection, that that also has to be something that you feel pretty good about, um, at least putting it on video for other teams that have to prepare for. J2M asks, what would be an NFL scout's opinion of Mike Wright, Anthony Orgy, and Will Shepard? Well, Will Shepard, I think he's played well. He's got, what, five, four or five touchdowns already. He's got to do a better job of getting off press coverage. As this year goes on, uh, that's something that I think he's got to improve on. Now he's, you know, he's had his moments, and I think he can be pressed, and he doesn't necessarily always have to be open to be open with his catch radius. Um, I, I think, you know, I like some of the work he's done on the punt team, going down covering kicks. Also, like uh, some of the work that Orgy has shown on special teams throughout his career. I thought he slid pretty well. In fact, I thought in the 
second quarter at the 540 mark on an outside zone by Hampton. His footwork was very strong sliding laterally. And on that play, I thought uh, you had a pretty good job by Malik Langham just kind of stretching that play out. And then they got uh, some support from Patterson kind of filling in. But that was him getting to the right position on that outside zone. So there's little plays like that that I'm impressed. He's going to have to break down a little bit quicker against space players. I saw him have a, you need to take one more step. One time you saw him against Ballman, I think that was in the second quarter, too, at the 950 mark, where Ballman kind of breaks loose and it's a one-on-one tackle. Take one more step before you you go ahead and, and shoot your, uh, you know, you, you shoot to wrap. But overall, through two games, I think he's been very active. I think his footwork has improved. That's something that I wanted to see. And I think the other guy, he said, you said. Uh, Mike Wright. Mike Wright. Well, Mike Wright is a player that, as he continues to develop, uh, we'll see where he gets to as a passer. But certainly with his size and length, there'll be teams that may look at him even at another position potentially with his speed and and really just overall playmaking skills. So I think the possibilities for him are, are kind of diverse, really. And just as a uh, kind of a nugget, there's already been a Mike Wright. I'm giving your listeners some homework from Vanderbilt who's been drafted. Yeah. So the next time we get them on the show, they got to tell you who it was and when. I, I know. I know you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think there'll be some people in the listening audience to do too. But um, on Anthony Orgy, what are the chances he gets drafted next year? I know there's a lot of football to be played, but uh, you you know a little something about that. Yeah, well, I definitely have a draftable grade, a pretty good grade for me as he continues to improve. Got a lot of NFL potential. I uh, really like where he can be. I think he can be a very underrated player. You've seen it. Oren Burks, Wimborn, Matt Stewart, Duncan, linebackers, going all the way back to Chris Gaines, uh, Shelton Quarles. Kind of has some similarities to Shelton Quarles to me. So I think you can look at what he can do. And you can see a guy that could really potentially just keep working on it, you know, keep being fundamentally sound. And I think that's something he's been pretty good at the first couple of weeks. Keep working on stacking and shit and using your hands. It was actually a power. Another play I didn't uh, talk about, like, and it, and it was a in the first, I think it was in the second quarter. And I saw him get to the right spot. Now, he could have got a bit a little bit tighter on it, but. You know, that when you see that guard pull or you see that action, that, that you call that reading a triangle, you know, being able to get to the spot you need to and fit it right, that's as much as what scouts are looking for as anything. Not just, you know, are you making a tackle and it's a spectacular space play or returning a fumble for a touchdown. It's the fundamentals. And I think that's something that, as a former safety, who's still been kind of learning over the last couple of years, you got to give this guy a lot of credit for how far he's come along, um, and I'm really impressed with the, the with the really with the arrow. I think it's going up for him. Yeah, I think so too. Let's see, J2M. What current or past college quarterback would you compare Mike Wright to? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different guys you can compare him to. I guess you say when you talk about okay, you look at. A lot of people would say current quarterbacks that you would be able to compare him to. I think there's actually some similarities to Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. Now, he doesn't have as strong of an arm as Sanders, maybe even a little faster. Sanders is pretty dynamic 
when you're talking about in the open field. He also has some, not maybe quite as quick, but faster than Frank Harris down at UTSA. And he's a player that can kind of stop and start with a little bit more. Uh, and, 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 and actually, I think Frank Harris is a pretty good ball handler. He's left-handed. Uh, I think you're going to have to look at players who can run, whether it's John Reese Plumley down at – he's a smaller guy down at UCF. So you've got a lot of different players. He, he's a little taller than some of these guys, though, so I think that gives him a little bit more, you know, possibilities in terms – Michael Cunningham – there's another player. I think there, there are a lot of similarities there, except, again, you know, Wright is taller than these guys. And probably, he looks like, to me, he can even put on more weight. So there, there's a lot of possibilities for him as he continues to grow. Um, maybe a taller version of Greg Ward Jr., who's actually a starting wide receiver. Or not a starting – he has been a starting wide receiver for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Used to play at Houston. Uh, so, he, again – when you when you're looking at a player like this that's this dynamic, there, there it opens up the possibilities for him in terms of being looked at as a prospect. And I think he just has to keep his head down, keep getting better, and, and keep working on involving the lower body into his throws and not you know not throwing so much with the upper body. Maybe another guy that he reminds me of a little bit is Joshua Dobbs, who played at Tennessee. Um, a couple, you know, five, six, seven years. Yeah, really good player, uh, Corey. Here's here's my concern with Mike or, or one of them. He he just is so skinny. He's going to need a good twenty or thirty pounds to have a shot in the NFL, I think. Um, but and look, I, I know this is no news to anybody. I'm sure they've tried. Are there guys that just can't put on weight? Yeah, no question. And I think that's something that he'll. You're gonna have to. You're exactly right. I mean, that's something that's going to have to happen. I think that's why I mentioned with that frame, what else can you do? Because I think yeah. playing professionally, you know, what else can you do? Because if you start talking about going up to, let's say you played another league, then you're talking about having wider, a wider field, particularly if you're in. And I think a lot of people get a, a little bit of a misconception of, of even playing in Canada. Uh, you got the, You only got three downs up there. So you can't waste the down running around. So I think there is, you know, again, it's a little bit of a different game there. That game to me is you, you got to be able to really – those are a lot of spread quarterbacks actually transition uh, up up to that level. Um, one guy that just sticks out to me right off the top is Damon Allen. Uh, Marcus Allen's little brother played up there for so long. But, again, I, I feel like with him – We've kind of mentioned some names of guys that there are some similarities to, but you can always, when you have a guy with his frame, there are going to be some possibilities for that player maybe uh, in terms of just working out and showing people what you can do athletically, uh, and that's going to be where he gets his shot. Okay, Corey, here come the questions on Wake. Uh, Let's start here. Go Doors 94 says, what needs to happen for Vanderbilt to beat Wake on Saturday? I mean, they got to get off the field on third down. Yeah. When you look at Wake Forest, uh, the quarterback Griffiths last, Griffiths last week was impressive. Now, he won't play, or we assume he won't play. We don't know. Uh, but if he plays, I don't think it really matters because he played well enough to, you know, he they have a specific offense that uh, they're going to try to get themselves in manageable third down situations. And then if they don't, 
then that's where they get into a little bit of trouble. I was at their NC State game. I went to go see them play last year in person. And one of the things that I took away from that game was that when NC State could get them into a third and longer passing situation, that's when they had success. Uh, and then the other way you can beat Wake Forest is you got to win on special teams. And that's one of the things that I don't think – we didn't talk about that. I didn't think Vanderbilt had a good special teams game no. uh-uh. at all compared to – talk about the, the Will Shepard with the, the, the uh, onside late. That was a good hit by their guy. But then you had the 34-yard punt return uh, and, and by Jones, and, and that was something that I thought could have popped if it wasn't for the tackle. That was a situation where a hay ball kind of outkicked the coverage. Now, it wasn't a bad in terms of distance punt, 66 yards, but it was only like about a – it wasn't bad hang time, about four and a half seconds, 4.4, 4.38. But when you kick it that long, you got to get down there, and that's an opportunity to really flip the field. And so if you're going to kick it that way – then you're going to have to have a little bit better coverage. Now, they did have one where they downed it inside a couple of times, so it wasn't all bad. But I think you're going to have to win the special teams battle, and that's something that I've seen Wake Forest lose sometimes. And so that's something that, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty relatively sound there, but they certainly lost it last year at that NC State game. They had one, gave up one 78-yard kickoff return that almost scored, and then the first kick of the second half, Bam Knight takes it all the way back to the house. So you've got examples of them not getting it done in that area. And then you got to force Hartman into mistakes because mistakes come in bundles for him. And I think that's the big thing with him. As good as he is, and and I think he's a hell of a quarterback, I I just feel like for whatever reason, there are just some players that when they make a mistake, they make more than one. Now, now, impressively enough for me with them, at least in that game, because even in the game that, that I'm talking about with him last year against NC State that I was at, he threw three interceptions in that game, and he only completed about 40-something percent of his passes, but he did find a way to kind of tough it out. Uh, but then, you know, a couple weeks later, they're playing Pittsburgh and in, in, in the championship game or whatever. I don't think the championship game, but – the game, I think it was the ACC championship game, he throws four interceptions. And that kind of goes back to a theme from a couple of a years back in, in the bowl game against Wisconsin when he threw four interceptions. So one of the things Vanderbilt has been able to do is turn the ball over the last couple of years, particularly when it comes to interceptions. If he throws it to you, you got to catch it. And I think that's the thing that if they can do that and turn the ball over, that'll go a long way and turning the tide in this game. Corey, I remember you and I, it's been about a month now, sat and watched a whole practice, and Wake came up. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you thought Vanderbilt might be more athletic than Wake is. Yeah, I think I think when you, when you go total, here's where I think that they improved from last year even. They had a couple of guys last year, they got transfer-wise, Luigi Villain, uh, he came from Michigan. He had nine sacks for him last year. Uh, and then they had a couple other guys along their defensive line that had kind of been there for a while. But they also got Miles Fox from Old Dominion. And I thought he gave him some pretty good reps. Uh, so they needed to find some replacements. So this guy, again, and I'm talking about Kobe Turner, he was huge to pick him up. You're talking about a three-time or whatever it was, all-CAA player with some quickness and strength. So I, you, you can kind of tell what I'm talking about if you're going into the transfer portal 
to pick up some of these different players. Now, they've got a couple of good receivers. You know, obviously, we've talked about Perry, but Taylor Moran is pretty good, too. And they, I think they lost one of their better running backs. They, they still they lost, I think it was Bill Smith, but they still got Turner, and, and I think he's solid. But I don't think their running back room is as good as ours. Now, I don't know whether a lot, a lot of people may disagree with that, but, again, that's just that's my take on it. And I feel like offensive line-wise, they do have some pretty good players up front. I, I do feel like uh, Gordon is okay. He's young, though. They're, he, they moved him around. I believe they moved him to left tackle. He played right tackle when I watched him a year ago. And then inside, they got Madden and and also uh, Nasamnia. And, and, and those guys are pretty good. They got some finish. But I, I think when you start looking at player for player, if you're really going to go all the way up and down the roster, starter for starter, you know, for me, I, I didn't see a, a market difference between these two teams at all. And and I thought Vanderbilt might have the edge going into this year. We'll see. We'll see this week. Colombiano Door says, "What have the best defenses done to disrupt the mesh point read in Wake's offense?" Well, I think one of the things that you're going to have to do is it depends on really the uh, the linebacker to the weak side, and what I mean by that maybe the overhang defender. He's kind of in a little bit of a bind sometimes. Because if they pull that backside guard, well, that, that guy has to either make a decision and force to come up because he's the fourth player if they're running the ball to that side. And they don't really run it outside a lot, but he still has to be there for the fit. And, it, and, if, and if that guy is a little bit heavy on the run, then a lot of times what they do is attack to that X receiver side. And a lot of times that's where they line Perry to. So they hold it a lot there. And the teams that have been able to really, I think, take away a little bit of that inside run game and have a real, be real stout in those A and B gaps have really gotten them into longer yardage situations that I referenced earlier. But regardless, to do that, you're going to have to put an extra guy up, and that's where the dilemma comes. A lot of times they'll have a tight end in the backfield with that other running back to create an extra gap. You can't play as much... They they mix it up. Sometimes they'll do it that way, and they only have three receivers on the field, and that tight end will almost be like an extra fullback back there with the guys they're running the mesh point. That means you're going to create an extra gap in the run game that you've got to have a guy down there for. That's where they create the dilemma. So if they, actually, I think it's better when they are going two by two or even empty, and, and that that possibility is eliminated. So that's a big part of his success as a passer is just how long he can hold it and how quick his release is. So uh, being able to be able to stop that uh, inside run game is really essential to being able to make them one-dimensional. Vandy Nash says, I loved watching your 96 and 97 defenses play. What made you guys so good? How much was talent versus scheme? Um, and then he wants to know, well, I'll, I'll let you ask, answer that one first, and then I'll ask the last part. Well, I, I think we had a, I think Ryan Alls is really big on the 97 team. Or no, he was an undersized nose tackle, who was just hellacious up front. He did a lot. He battled his behind off. Um, he did a lot to be able to allow Carlton, AJ, and, and Jamie Duncan, our All-American linebacker, to, to make plays. Uh, I think the other thing about it was Fred Vince in the corner opposite me. 
uh, he was we played bump and run. We didn't we played bump and run. And most of the time when we blitzed, we played zero coverage. So a lot of the times what we would do is a, a, a major part of our scheme those two years was we were going to probably have 60 percent of the game. They knew we were blitzing and it was all out and we played bump and run with, with no safety in the middle of the field. So we kind of changed the number count. That helped us with the run. I think as Norm Parker evolved our defense in 97 a little bit, kind of mixed some of his stuff with uh, Woodenhoffer's, God rest his soul, both of their souls, they, um, they actually kind of mixed in some different stuff that last year, which enabled to take a, take, take a little bit of the reps off of me and Fred because we were playing Gunner and we were also – on the punt return team. So we needed, you know, you you play all that man coverage that we do, we did, and you need a little bit of a break. And then I thought our slot guys were pretty good. Ansley Battles was underrated that year. He ended up playing the NFL. And certainly Raheem Batten, Rock Batten, who's the head coach at Innsworth, I, I thought he was a shining star for that 97 defense. He was a, an outstanding hitter. He was physical. He was smart. Uh, you know, he ran to the ball uh, relentlessly. And he was a tone setter. Okay, the next question, who was the most talented player on those defenses? Oh, man, on, on those defenses, I would have to say the most talented player probably, you'd have to say the best player was Jamie Duncan. So, I mean, that's, to me, talent and, and, and all of that and who runs a – you want to say the fastest player was Fred Vinson. He was probably the most – the smoothest athlete on the, on the team, uh, probably the best gunner in the country, and then he ran 4-2-8. Uh, I mean, both of, both of our court, me and Fred both could run. We were both good size, but I thought he was thought he was better athlete than me. And um, and then I think just in terms of uh, the best player, I think on the defense was Jamie Duncan. I, I think that goes without saying. You guys were fun to watch, man. You know, it was it was it was very very uh, fun to play defense, but it wasn't fun to lose. And I think that that's the one thing that I want to take and leave anybody that asks me about the defenses. And I even have said that several times. When you lose the game, you can have whatever you want, statistics. I, I call that that's the loser's lament or whatever you want to call it. Like, there's no football's a team sport. And if you don't win the game, it, it really doesn't matter about anything else. If Fred stays healthy, what's his NFL career look like? I think he would have had to have gotten better playing the ball. Um, I think that's something that he could have improved on. He got better as his career went along. I didn't think he really had much of a problem in terms of it. You know, right once me and him spent a lot of time together, hours and hours and hours, just working technique, working technique. And mainly it was about just staying square at the line of scrimmage because it's a little bit different when you plan zero press coverage, Chris, because you can't yeah. jam everybody. So we're out there against Florida's receivers or Tennessee's or whomever it is. It's just knowing we were better than them, which we, we were better than them. I, I didn't feel like there was any receivers we went against that, that were close to us. And I made sure that we, you know, we believed that. And, and so when we went out there, it was about us. It was about our technique and how we executed and we had a responsibility to the defense, and our responsibility was just we have to play good man coverage for us to execute this defense. So there is there there are no choices other than you know be good on the technique. And I thought he was 
uh, outstanding as a technician. Uh, I thought he always uh, concentrated on that. And it just as if he would have played the ball, I think he would have had a chance to, you know, play, you know, 15, 10 or 15 years easy. I know you guys were related, but I'm trying to remember how close were you before Vanderbilt and how, how close a contact you stay in with him these days? We haven't, we haven't been in close contact. We weren't really, we didn't grow up together. We went to different high schools. So he was actually at a, another high school, North Augusta. And actually another guy came from that school also on that team, Johnny Matoria, that, that, that played with him in high school. He ended up coming up here and playing for us as well as a good player. So uh, we didn't really know each. We didn't even really know we were cousins or able to talk about it until he actually got here. So that was kind of one of the things that our families were were very where we're from. It's a little bit, you know, we're from the bottom, so uh, it was a little bit different. But um, it was cool to be able to to play with him. It was cool to be able to see him become a second round draft choice while completing an engineering degree. Wow. That's something that, that says a lot about his um, overall just professionalism and uh, focus. Let's see, a couple more. Um, well, I guess just one more. VUNGA wants to know if you'd like to play for Clark Lee. I would love to. And I think the reason I would love to, number one, is we both wore black and gold. And I think that one of the things that this team will continue to realize is how much it means to Clark Lee to be the head coach. Imagine if you played somewhere and you've been through whatever and you're the coach of a team you played for. So your brethren, for, like if, if somebody played at Vanderbilt, Leonard Coleman or uh, you can go all the way back to Bill Wade, we're brethren. You know, Bill Wade played when? I don't know, the 50s? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Number one overall pick in the, in the draft. But he's a brethren of you for forever. And so I think once when you have that connection and that's somebody that's coaching you that played at that school, you know, I'm, if you're at Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy's the coach, how can you not, you know, want to go out? Well, I guess that's been changed back and forth a little bit over the last couple of years. But how can you not want to go out and play with somebody who wore the same colors that you're wearing now? I think that's that's something that that people you know maybe just take for granted. I, of course, I would love to play for him, and I, I just like his overall temperature. You know, it doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. You know, I just he just gives you a calm that everything's gonna be all right while still being focused on the task. He's very task oriented. That's what impresses me about him, and very humble. And those two qualities oftentimes lead to you becoming uh, a tremendous uh, person, but also a tremendous coach, which he's already proven. I mean, we're lucky to have him. Uh, so, of course, you know, I would love to play for him. Corey, it feels like he's done a lot to try to reach out to former players and really bring them in and, and welcome them to the program. Well, I mean, let, let's let's be again. <laughs> he played here. You know, yeah. he, he gets it. I think that, you know, I think it was a. You know, give Candace Story Lee a lot of credit. I think the fact that she um, understood, you know, the hire, you know, along with everybody else that was a part of the hire, uh, understood the pedigree. You know, you got somebody that's coming and is already proven at Syracuse, at Wake Forest, at all these different places, you know, putting guys in the league and, and being successful in whatever role he's been in. And 
uh, you know, being somebody that was a two sport athlete in school and understanding, uh, you know, what it what it means to be everything it needs to be in terms of a leader. Uh, I, I think that's something I don't think he has to go around uh, harangue about what he's going to do because he just he's purposeful. And I think if you're purposeful in terms of what you're trying to do and you can have success. And, yeah, I mean, there are going to be bumps and rolls. There were bumps last year. There were games that. No, that they were in. They 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 could have won, but it's a first year transition. You're trying to build something, so you know allow him to be able to do what he's doing. Um, I think we got to. I think one of the big things I'm, I'm sure he's talking about is, you know, finishing these games. That's something that you know typically we've had. Um, it's always been a focus for Vanderbilt football, and, and I think as we finish, you know, a lot of these games as we get along and get all our bodies back, I think people are gonna be impressed. Uh, with with where he takes this program. Corey, we covered a lot of ground tonight. Is there anything that was worth the discussion here that we didn't get to? No, no. I, I, I think, I, again, I'm, I, I'm most excited, again, when I started off by saying that um, the win, I think that's something that we just discussed. We kind of got back to that when you talked about our defense losing because that's what we did. And so when it comes down to it, let's say you win. One thing I, I, I'll say this about Wake Forest. I, I'll, say, I'll, I'll end it with this, um, and it's just something to consider. So if you wanted to go by style points, right? Well, last year they beat Old Dominion. They only had 10. They beat Wake, the Rutgers. They only had 10. Boston College only had 10. But they had other games where they were in shootouts, right? They were in a shootout with North Carolina. They were in a shootout with North Carolina State. They didn't play real well, but they won that game. They were to shoot. They gave up 56 points to Army, and they won the game by 14. They gave up 37 to Syracuse. So all of this stuff about you know who plays well and it's about winning. It doesn't matter. Like nobody goes back and says, well, Virginia only beat uh, uh, this past weekend. I, I believe they played. I'm trying to remember who they played, but they only beat the team that they played Richmond by 17. Nobody cares how much you beat Richmond by 10 weeks from now. Just win the game. <laughs> and so that's what it's about. And how you win and winning different kinds of ways, it helps you win different kinds of ways later in the season. You can't just win one kind of way. But I will say this, through two weeks, regardless of how you kind of try to you know, uh, parlay it or, or what have you, uh, you still have, what is it, 108 points? I don't know. Is it, it 42 plus 106? Well, let's see, 40, 49 and 42 on the offense if you don't count the pick sixes. Oh, yeah. So they're, they're, even with the pick sixes, they're over 40 both games. And I mean, that, that's a good point. I meant to look it up. I couldn't tell you the last time Vanderbilt scored. And if you want to throw in the pick sixes, what, it's, it's 105 in two games? I couldn't tell you the last time Vanderbilt scored that many points in back-to-back games. I mean, it might have been Dan McGugan, for all I know. <laughs> right, right. And we know his <laughs> success. Yeah, so I think that that's something that, Chris, when we go through this season and we're talking about these games and and we get back to the final analysis, there'll always be a tipping point in each game where something – and I felt like a tipping point in the game was in the fourth quarter when they – they ended up getting the onside. They go down the field, 
And, and, and a lot of people probably, uh, to me, I think what this team is about is that fourth quarter, uh, fourth uh, and goal stand on fourth down. A couple of different things yeah. they stop. I think that's more of what the team is about. You want those situations. Why? Because those are the situations that they spent all camp going over. You were there at every practice. So you saw all of those situations, fourth down and three, four, all these different situations that Clark Lee puts them in. You get a chance to do them on game day. I don't care who you're playing. It, it, it creates memories. You go back to when you went through that in camp. Maybe they went through it out in Hawaii when they were together for a week. I don't know. It seemed like they certainly got pretty close out there that week, just watching some of the shows. I don't know. I, I think that the, the, through the first two weeks, they've been they've been given a lot of different situations that they've been put in that they can refer back to as for, for an intel later on. Well, they showed some toughness late. I mean, Wake had two snaps from, I, I don't know, it might have been inside a foot. Yeah. And they stopped them both. They had another fourth down stop, I want to say the fourth quarter. And then they had, I think, the McAllister strip that I don't remember if it was a Wusu or who landed on it. But, I mean, they made three big plays. Yeah, they didn't play great defensively. They gave up a lot of yards. But they also made three huge plays on defense right when they had to. Yeah, I think that's what you're looking for if you're Nick Howell. Um, is, is when you put your back is against the wall, you have something you can reference. And those, those, those are the types of things we're talking about are, are some of the different points where you can reference something that's happened. And now that you've had that situation come up, because he had it come up a couple of times, you know, last year, particularly in that Louisville game that they won close. Uh, you, you have some of those situations where, you're going to give up some points. They they had some of those games last year, and they were a really good defense or had some good players, and, and they've always had good defenses. So he it's nothing you can really throw at Howell that he hasn't seen, and he's going to keep them engaged. And, and so that's something that's positive. And certainly uh, Joey Lynch on the other side. I think those two guys are lock and step along with the special teams coordinator, uh, Lustig. So – uh, I, I think those are those three different units have to be lock and step and respond when one makes a mistake. You know, we didn't always do that when I was in school, and we lost games as a result at times. Corey, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us, and I hope we can do this again next week. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to the game this week. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.